called Community of Memory. And a brief synopsis of that series is that we're doing brief synopsises of things that we think are important and that we've talked about in the past. And some of the things that we're just kind of picking a week so every week, we're just going to pick something that's significant that we've discussed in our community in the past that we might have forgotten about, but we think that we should probably remember. And the danger with that is we take series, some of which have gone for longer than it takes to bring a baby into the world, i.e. nine months, not i.e. that one. The, Evie made it through the entire prayer series, and actually, yeah, it's quite exciting. Um, so... <laughs> you want to get into Evie's conception? We'll leave it. Okay. Uh, but Evie was... <laughs> Evie was born before the end of the prayer series. So some of our series are like ridiculously long just because we're really simple people and it takes us a long time to get our heads around ideas. Um, we're also very chatty people, so we you know, interrupt each other a lot. Uh, so the danger with doing synopsis these praises like these is that you take um, stuff that was set in for ages and try and like sum it up, uh, which you can never really do full justice to. So that's just my way of saying if none of this makes any sense, um, it's not my fault, and it's not really your fault either, but that's okay. But what's great about this series is that we've actually got to talk again about things that we really deeply care about, and today is one of those ones that I really deeply care about. So um, what we're going to try to do by the end of the series is come up with um, a prayer that we can pray as part of our liturgy that will kind of like be a reminder of some of the stuff that we've discussed that we want to hold on to so that we don't just forget every time we see a cute dog. Uh, good. We're going to start with this verse up here. And um, yeah, one, one of the things we like to do is kind of get people's reflections on things. And uh, as you sat with that for the next couple of minutes, it'd just be nice to discuss kind of what questions arose for you, what reminders arose for you, what challenges arose for you, um, what lines you'd like to filter out, what li lines you'd like to put in bold, what, um, what came to you as you were sitting there breathing deeply, definitely not thinking about coffee, but thinking about this verse. Oh, we, we, um, we're a microphone only. There are people who um, are too lazy to come to church uh, and just listen to a podcast, and we like to empower them in their choices. Uh, I began to think about what it means to fear God then, and how the fear of God is the beginning of all wisdom, and how that works. Excellent. I think fear is a really problematic translation of that word. Mm, it's a good place to start. Yeah. I think awe is perhaps the closest. Mm. The hot table. Um, I guess for me, with, with and that God loves us. For me, the, for the, me, the biggest challenge is to feel that I'm worthy of God's love. I think that's the, that's the big barrier. And I would presume I'm not the only one because I feel like God is is loving us all the time. But there's that sort of block that I have that feeling I'm not not worthy. Yeah. Yep. 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 No pressure, guys. I think sort of going back to that fear context, I like I absolutely love this verse, really love the first part and the last part, and then there's just that little middle bit about the whole fear thing that just confuses the hell out of me, especially the whole, the one who fears is not made perfect in love, and I don't know, kind of thinking, oh, what does that mean about my fear and the whole punishment side of it, and confusing. 
Um, I, I really love this verse as well. Um, but the thing that sort of confuses me sometimes is talking about like the um, the day of judgment. Um, mostly because like if we don't have to be afraid because we're with God and with love, like um, what what is like the point of the whole judgment day? And like God is like graceful and loving. Like why why is there this judgment day? You know what I mean? Um, but aside from that, yeah, the rest of it, like, to be courageous, like, to to be loving without fear and to act from the heart, um, I think that's um, very special and something that that verse kind of resonated with me. Can you remind me, if I don't get to that before the end, um, about that middle bit that you had a problem with, about judgment stuff, to talk about that really briefly? Because I might forget that. Susie, you're you're entitled to at least two things. At least five. Um, no, no. And this is going to be a very poor uh, version of something that Rod often talks about with Day of Judgment, or that notion of there being a Day of Judgment, and you've probably heard him say it before, so I apologise if you've heard it a million times. But um, just that notion that it's... Because I wrestle with that enormously, especially as someone who hasn't grown up in a Christian context. And... Um, that notion that the day of judgment is actually less about God judging you and more about you, the mirror being held up to you, you seeing yourself, and that, in some sense, having being forced to see the kind of consequences of your actions and their effect on other people, which restores their humanity and also your own. You probably heard it before. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. What I, along with that, as add, is that. Again, going to make some massive statements that are really unsubstantiated because we just don't have time, but I can point you to resources later. Um, but that judgment is primarily about what will carry on into the future, what gets to carry on to the new heavens and the new earth and what doesn't, what is worthy of love that gets to pass on into this new world. I see you, Donna. I see you. I'm, I, I see you. I see that hand. Donna has... We love because God first loved us. Yeah, that was that's what's powerful. Yeah, yeah, that runs really deep in you, hey? Mm. Yeah, thank you. Don't tell Donna not to cry. Donna can cry as much as Donna wants to cry. We can all cry as much as we want to cry. Um. One of the major roadblocks we found as a community as we've kind of talked about our stories with God and worked out whether we want to be a part of a church or not, which is a crazy thing to do because churches are munted. I have honestly sat with way too many of you and just gone and heard your stories of participating in Christian communities and just gone, how, why do you keep coming back, you idiot? Like, what are you doing to yourself? That is terrible. But for many of us, there's something that keeps on drawing us back in the midst of it. And one of the major roadblocks we've found is that for many of us at some point or another, when life really caused us to dig deep, we realized that we struggled to like, let alone love or worship the God that we were raised with. Which for lots of people isn't a big problem because even if God does monstrous things, God is still God, so just get on with it, foolish human. But for those of us who can't 
with any integrity give love to something that we find monstrous? It's a big problem. For many of us, there's something deeply problematic with a faith that resembles Stockholm Syndrome. We have been traumatized by this God, this deity, yet we still try and keep explaining why it's actually not that bad that God's held us hostage in these horrendous ways. Because we're sure they mean the best. For those of us who can't go there, rather than cover our ears and sing joy to the world even louder, we're faced with two options, to walk away or to dig deeper. And as a community, we're really passionate about digging deeper, about helping people who have been traumatized and tormented by damaging views of God to find some kind of pathway to healing. That's one of the things that we're here for. Together, we are seeking the one who Desmond Tutu, who ironically, I don't think has ever worn a tutu, calls the God of surprises. The God of surprises. If you ever have a few minutes, YouTube Desmond Tutu talking about the God of surprises. It's such a beautiful thing. It's been incredible watching people discover the radical possibility that God is actually far more delightful, kind, and compelling than we could have possibly hoped for. This is what the issue boils down to for me. I've spent, I don't know, I'm like 37 now, and I grew up all churchy, so I've spent a long time thinking about this, wrestling with this, walking away from this, walking back to this, walking away from this, trying to engage again. And this, and all of my study and all of my thinking is what the issue really comes down to for me. My real issue with many portrayals of the Christian God is that they just aren't Christian enough. This is a strange statement. It's mine. <laughs> this is my statement. But I'm not enough of a narcissist to put to quote myself. <laughs> my friend's old pastor used to do that. I was like, I'm pretty sure you can't quote yourself. You just say the thing, and if people want to quote you, then they get to do that. My real issue with many portrayals of the Christian God is that they just aren't Christian enough. There are way too many things that we've been led to assume that we must believe about God that have very little to to do with Jesus. And this is a massive problem. Popular theology and popular culture often draw from the same pool. God is either an ethereal spirit too pure to get involved in the muck down here, or God is intimately involved, albeit from a distance, distance, poking it with a stick and on occasion walloping the crap out of it when he gets angry enough, but not really doing much about the gut-wrenching atrocities in the world. This is the God that we get to worship. Yay. We did a series of interviews at the start of the prayer series we did last year where we got people to describe their journey with prayer and what was great and life-giving about it and what was difficult. And as we kind of tracked where people hit stumbling blocks, um, Rod and I were kind of discussing this and we worked out that for lots of us, we've kind of got this paper mache version of God. We've got these kind of bits of newspaper torn from different things around this God's shape. And we draw our sources from all kinds of stuff that we think that we have to believe about God, um, but that don't necessarily make a whole. So we believe 
that Jesus is God, but at the same time, we believe in all these other things that don't reflect Jesus. And so what we did as part of the series is, and I'm just going to skip through them really quickly, um, and some of them might be offensive to you, but um, the intent is not to offend, and the intent, intent is definitely not to say that everything about every view displayed here is wrong, but it's to help try and characterize some of the kind of background images we carry into the word God when we talk about God. And so we came up with these caricatures of the gods that make up our paper, paper mache God. Um, Zeus being one of them, the old man in the sky with a stick or with a lightning bolt, a.k.a. angry bits of Old Testament God. His biography is all-powerful, all-knowing, dispenser of divine justice, in control of every small thing that happens, even if you wrongly chose to do it. If it happens, it was his will, praise be his name. Also loves anything beginning with omni. Omniscient, omnipresent, omnipotent. If you've been, if you've did, done it in like a, any kind of like Bible college course or anything like that, you would have got this like right at the start. These are not biblical ideas. <laughs> Those words aren't in the Bible. They come from Greek, Greco-Roman philosophy, um, which doesn't mean that they're not true about God. It just doesn't mean that they're, that's not our source for knowing about God. If I am forced to choose between an, an omnipotent God and an all-loving God, only one of them reflects the Bible better. It's not the first one. Special features, shoots not lightning from nipples. Cool trick. Quotes, didn't get a job, my will. Puppy died, my will. End up in hell, you guessed it. Um, Stalin um, has a grand plan to make everything better, i.e. I'll build this amazing heaven, but if a few million people have to suffer and die and fry in the process, it'd still be all worth it in the end, right? <laughs> Special features can shut out the cries of victims by covering ears and singing sweet by and by. Quotes, got to break some eggs to make a delicious omelette, am I right? It's the kind of like grand plan God of going that God set this whole thing in motion and, you know, like there's this kind of glory point at the end, but a whole heap of bad things will happen in the middle and God's actually pretty cool with that because in the end it'll all be okay for the people that get to carry on. Santa, aka Cosmic Vending Machine God, dishes out the stuff we need when we need it. When he doesn't, it's probably because we were naughty, not nice. Special features, specializes in car parks at Kurong. That was mostly for Josh Glover, who works at Kurong, but um, he's not here now, so hope you appreciated it. The Clockmaker, aka Absentee Landlord, made creation, got it all going, and then sat back to watch it all play out. Don't bother praying to this one. He doesn't get up to much these days. The Bodyguard. This is very much a controlling figure in my spirituality. Um, because for so long, everything worked out, not because of my white male privilege, but because God favored me. Um, protects those that believe in him from anything bad happening. Well, anything really bad anyway. Ability to fend off disasters of all kinds for those, who, for those who have enough faith and live in Western countries and have access to middle kikia and get lucky and can have a dysfunctional level of denial. Um, quotes, the best is yet to come. Which is great. If the best is yet to come. And really terrible if it's not, because you can say that a lot of times, and then when things turn to custard, pretty flimsy. Disappearing dad. Um, this is the best image I could find. It's the lowest DPI image on the internet. <laughs> but it's really hard to find something, so I apologize for that. If you want better, pay me more. Disappearing dad, also known as deadbeat dad. Shows up intermittently and gives amazing presents. 
ability to do incredible things to get your hopes up just high enough to totally crush you when you feel let down. I'll always be there for you until I'm not. There's a couple of stories that came out in the interview for the prayer series of people of why they couldn't pray anymore. And it was disappearing dad that was the figure that came out in those stories of this, this tremendous experience of provision and then this tremendous absence at times where they felt like God needed them the most, but where they needed God the most. So those are some caricatures. You may recognize them from Sunday school uh, <laughs> or from uh, popular theology and popular culture's descriptions about God. Um, a few people have commented that one of the major issues they have with the new atheists is not that they're not smart, but they just deal with the God of Sunday school um, rather than the riches and depth of tradition. Um, if you've ever been told that this is what the church believes about God and always has, you've been told a lie because there's rich, rich streams of varying tradition that surface and resurface throughout Christian history. And we need to be free to rediscover some of the stuff that lies before us that got shut out by Calvin and Luther. <laughs> Gregory of Nyssa is making a comeback. This means that for a lot of us, we're caught in a bind. Hope, faith, love, and joy only seem possible if we manage to blinker out the truly horrifying bits of our experience of the world. As Christians, though, this is where we start. This is not where we finish, but this is where we start. That Jesus is God. <laughs> then Jesus cried out. This is our framing other framing verse for today. Then Jesus cried out, whoever believes in me does not believe in me only, but in the one that sent me. The one who looks at me is seeing the one who sent me. I have come into the world as a light so that no one who believes in me should stay in darkness. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. So here's a bunch of very large and largely unqualified statements because we don't have time to qualify them all, but they might be food for thought for you. Jesus becomes the lens through which we filter all portrayals of God. And this is Trip Fuller's very sarcastic um, statement. God must be at least as nice as Jesus. Jesus says, when you see me, Jesus, not me. When you see me, you see the Father. You see Abba. When you see Jesus, you see the entire Trinity. There is no split in the Trinity. If God is a community of oneness, you don't have nice Jesus and monstrous, monstrous Father. This is Brian Zand's quote, who's a dude. Don't like Brian Zand? Oh, you do. Oh, oh I skipped back and forth. So, oh, did you not get to write that whole thing down? That's okay.
God is like Jesus. God has always been like Jesus. There has never been a time when God was not like Jesus. We haven't always known this, but we do now. Now, just to qualify this statement, I'm talking here about Christian theology. I'm not telling you some certain universal truth about how you all must understand God or that God is real. This is not an argument for that. I can't do that today. I can't do that ever. It's not my job to tell everybody exactly how it definitely is. I can give you perspectives. I can give you my experience. I can give you all kinds of things. But I'm not trying to say that you all have to believe this. But what I am trying to say is if you call yourself a Christian, you need to be free to believe that God is at least as nice as Jesus and have and be empowered enough to throw away crap that has stuck itself to the Christian God that doesn't represent Jesus. God is like Jesus. God has always been like Jesus. There's never been a time when God was not like Jesus. We haven't always known this, but we do now. That is what I call gooder news. Because I grew up with good news that was really not that good. God loves you, but if you don't love God back, God will beat the crap out of you forever, or at least let someone else do it. Because you're actually a worm. Good news, everyone. The good news is that Jesus did not come to save us from God, but reveal God to us. Not a kind but dim-looking son desperately trying to hide a vicious father. Jesus is not the pleasant mask on the face of God. Jesus is the one there to dispel every wrong assumption about who God is. Human, humanity has wondered about spirituality for as long as humanity has been around. And it might just be a grand illusion. It might just be. But it might not. And on the, along the way, many speculations, many proposals, many ideas have been thrown around by God. The Bible is this amazing story of people's... Amen of people's wrestling with what God might be like. And out of that, in that process, emerges this figure, Jesus. And Jesus says, when you see me, you see all of God. This is not a soft gospel. It doesn't mean that God doesn't seek justice or long to transform us. But it does mean that God's means for doing so is not kicking the crap out of people for the rest of eternity. Because if you can't see Jesus doing that, then don't see God doing it. Jesus invited and offered and wooed and ate and drank and forgave. Jesus did not cling to power, but challenged the powers that made victims. Jesus showed in his weakness what strength looked like. 
And in that process, you don't have God doing that to Jesus. Jesus is God doing this, offering himself up out of love, refusing violence and retribution on the cross. To think that Jesus would go to the cross just so that Jesus could then commit violence for the rest of eternity is nonsensical. What is life about? What sits at the center of our universe? What drives the fierce longings we have as humans? Christianity says, Jesus. Jesus as reconciling relationship. A love so fierce, a love so bold that it would give itself up, that we would be known. A love that refused to take vengeance on the wrong done to it. A love that envisaged the embrace of outsiders. That is what Christianity says sits at the center of the universe. A God who longs for a world made whole. On judgment, again, we have to put Jesus as the judge. On wrath, what does wrath, the wrath of Jesus, look like? It most certainly looks something like the kind of wrath that Jesus showed when he said to people who were persecuting weak and vulnerable people to stop doing this. For people who are putting heavy, heavy loads on people who couldn't carry them. That my yoke is easy and my burden is light. What will carry on in the life to come? Judgment is the purging fire that says we can't keep doing this to each other. What if judgment looked like community? Awkward, awkward community. Where we are brought face to face with one another. And have to confront what we have done to one another before we can enter in to true community. What sits at the center of our universe, Christianity says. The love of Jesus that invites all to be in relationship. There is no split in the Trinity. It is not the Son versus the Father. Jesus came to show us who God is. And for me, personally, it took, I grew up tormented by God. Tormented by this idea that one small thing would deliver violence against me. It's taken me so many years to know Jesus. Does Jesus want to transform me? Absolutely. 
But does Jesus love me to my very core? Absolutely. It will take a lifetime of inviting Jesus in to allow ourselves to believe the radically good news that we are loved and that I am loved. That those two things go hand in hand. We are going to eat and drink communion this morning, which for those of you who are unfamiliar is a meal that's gone on for a long, long time. Um, today it is symbolized in tiny crackers and juice, but also in sandwiches later. Um, there's a meal that acts as a reminder of lots of things, but this morning what we're reminded is, is that all are invited to the table and all are invited to accept that what sits at the center of the universe is costly, costly love. Uh, our practice is to stand up and gather around the table. If you do not wish to partake today, that's totally fine. You can stand up or sit down or go or whatever you would like to do. If you would like to just participate but don't quite know what it means or cross your fingers while you do so, that's totally okay as well. Um, but all are invited to eat and drink. Um, we're going to gather and then we're going to pray um, and then we're going to eat and drink together. So if you'd like to crack crackers and gather around the table for those of you who'd like to partake this morning, then please do so. This is a small piece of pastoral advice. You're a Christian because you're scared of God. Stop being a Christian. Because you'll never get Christian enough. It makes no sense. Be something else. There's lots of great religions where fear sits at the center. I can introduce you to many of them. I'm going to do a breath prayer together. A breath prayer, if you don't like prayer, then you can make a meditative exercise. It's to pray two things, one on the in-breath and one on the out-breath. We're just going to do this for a minute together. On the in-breath, I want you to pray, we are radically loved. Confront the humanity of the people standing around you, even the ones you really don't like. On the out-breath, I want you to pray, I am radically loved. You're going to have to breathe slowly, otherwise you're going to hyperventilate and fall over and it'll be really embarrassing. What I want you to notice during this is what resistance to this idea, this truth, this thing arises within you. Note it, write it down on your mental piece of paper. Promise to do something with it later and then put it aside. Keep breathing. We are radically loved. I am radically loved. In breath. Hold. Out breath. Hold, but not for too long. Again. Let us pray together. <laughs>